0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And I'm talking to you on the subject of how to be rich. And we were just kidding around as we were preparing to start this broadcast. And uh, the, the broadcast engineer said, listen, if you want to be rich, don't get married. Don't have children. And uh, so I'm not just talking about financial wealth. I want you to know that I'm talking about spiritual wealth. But you know, oil was discovered on some Oklahoma property that belonged to an elderly Indian all of his life. He had been poverty-stricken. He was just barely scraping out a living. But the discovery of oil had suddenly made him a very wealthy man. Well, the first thing he bought was a very big Cadillac. He wanted the longest car in the country. So he added four spare tires on the trunk, He would dress up in his new clothes, and every day he would take his Cadillac into the hot, dusty little town nearby. He wanted everybody to see, and he wanted everybody to see him. Well, he was a friendly old soul, so when he was riding through town, he would turn in all directions to wave to all the people as he rode by. Well, interestingly enough, he never ran into anybody nor into anything. The reason is that he was directly in front of a big, beautiful auto with two horses and two harnesses pulling it. There was nothing wrong with the car's engine. It was because you old Indian had never learned how to drive it. He had never learned how to insert the key into the ignition switch and turn it on. You see, under the hood was a hundred plus horsepower engine ready and willing and roaring to go. But the old Indian was content to use two horsepower hooked to the front of his car. As I think about that, many Christians do the same thing. We have the power of God residing within us, and yet we don't tap into that power. You know, the devil is really happy. Well, I guess as happy as the devil can get when he keeps the believer from being used to that fullest potential. Uh, he loves to see a Christian life and a Christian who's living on a two-horsepower faith level. At that rate, the spiritual growth is slowed down to a crawl, and that is where the devil is. That is what he wants. I want to look at how to be rich based on what Paul said to the believers in Ephesus. Now, in order for us to understand the level of this message that he gives, we've got to understand a little bit about Ephesus. So, Uh, This is going to be a two-part message, so you got to join me tomorrow to get the second half of today's message. But you know, life in Ephesus, I guess you could say, was a lot like life in America. Uh, The city of Ephesus was a port city, had a population of about 350,000 people. Ephesus was a place where east would meet west. The city enjoyed Greek culture, but it was actually governed by the Romans. People in the city lived a life of luxury a life of extravagance, but also a life of immorality. In Paul's day, the biggest attraction to the city was the Temple of Diana, where the goddess Artemis allegedly had descended from the sky and landed right in the middle of this huge temple. Well, worshipers would each day perform the most immodest acts at the temple. They were teaming up with temple prostitutes. So Paul says... Maybe he had them in mind. He says, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. When you think about it, that's not exactly an easy place to start a church. As we think about how most churches are started today, they were started much differently than Paul started the church of Ephesus. Paul, in his third missionary journey, stops in Ephesus. He stays there for three years, and he builds a large thriving church, a church that sends out missionaries who start other churches in city after city. Uh, some of the city names you may recognize. Smyrna, uh, Pagamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae. All these churches were started by the church of Ephesus. Well, let's get back to how Paul started the church at Ephesus. On his way home from the second missionary journey, Paul stopped in Ephesus. He spent some time with his friends, Aquila and Priscilla. And they spent a little time in in the synagogue and making some friendly contacts with the rabbis. They're all impressed with Paul, and they ask him to stay. He originally says, well, no, no, I can't stay. I got to get back to Jerusalem. It's almost Passover week. But I said, I'll tell you what. I'll come back. So on his third missionary journey, being a man of his word, Paul goes back to Ephesus. The city experiences what could be called a spiritual awakening. I mean, the whole city is impacted. But not everybody is happy. Within the first three months, the Jewish leaders turn hostile toward Paul. So Paul quits and he goes back to Jerusalem. Well, no, not Paul. Paul is undaunted. He changes his focus of evangelism from focusing on the Jews to focusing on the Gentiles. And the church grows. The spiritual awakening is so amazing that a bonfire is built to burn all the magic books and the cult books, and they're burnt to a crisp. In fact, Luke actually writes about the revival that started at the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. This is how Luke records this revival. He says, when this became known to the Jews' honor, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas in the way that the Lord spread and it grew in power. So we see an amazing thing happen. Now, one of the things that saddens me as I think about the American church, when I see churches that are growing, I don't see them growing by new converts. I see them primarily growing by transfer growth. But Paul, as he begins this church at Ephesus, it is such a revival that takes place. It is impacting the very fabric and the very social society and the very culture of that city. Now, Paul may have been put in prison in Ephesus. He somehow got somebody ticked off with him. He made a lot of enemies within the religious community. Many of the Jews actually hated him. In fact, one powerful businessman, a guy by the name of Demetrius, who was a silversmith, really hated Paul. And he really hated Paul because Demetrius had a business. And his business was making idols for the temple of Diana. Well, when this revival takes place, all these people stop buying these little idols to bring to the temple. It was hurting his business. Well, revival in Ephesus was not good for his business, so he starts a riot. After all, only a couple of the elders of the church were incarcerated and beaten. Paul wanted to say, but his godly companions urged him to move on to the job of church planning. The church of Ephesus was strong enough to fight off this persecution. Well, Paul moves on. He finishes up his third and his final missionary journey, and he ends up spending some time in a Roman prison. You know, I think Paul was loved so much because, man, he spent so much time in prison. They were able to have a high level of regard for Paul because he was incarcerated for the cause of Christ. He was incarcerated for preaching the gospel. Where we learn in Acts chapter 20 that Paul, while traveling back to his home in Jerusalem, he decides to stop in the city of Miletus, four or five miles from Ephesus. He sends her a few of his elders from the church of Ephesus, and they come to see Paul, and they come to see him probably for the very last time. In the two or three days that Paul is in Miletus, he writes this epistle this wonderful letter. To the elders at the church of Ephesus. It's actually a circular letter that Paul intended to be read at all the churches. In fact, some commentators believe that in the letter, Paul left out the word Ephesus in the very first verse as the name of any church could be inserted. We could say that this letter is written to the people at, at Hickory Ridge Community Church, of the people of your church. This wonderful book. Can be divided up into two major parts, all right chapters one, two, and three talks about the Christian and his blessings chapters four, five, and six talk about the Christian and his behavior so part number one, Paul is writing this letter and he says, I'm writing this letter to those who are chosen by the will of God, and he's writing the fact that he's an apostle that was chosen by God. And he's writing this letter to other believers. In part number two, we can see that he's writing to the holy people of Ephesus. They are the faithful followers of Christ. And he says, May God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace. Man, Paul loved that word grace. Grace and peace are often coupled together throughout this small epistle. The word grace is used 12 times. Paul continues by saying, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Well, I told you that today's message was how to be rich. Well, in order for us to understand how to be rich, I think we need to ask the question, who gets the riches? Who gets the riches of Christ? Well, we discover that that answer is found, and it's given to only those few who choose Christ. And we could say the elect, but let's explain what that means. How do I know that I'm part of God's elect? Well, it's very simple. If you select Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the elect. This letter is from Paul, who was chosen, but Peter says, You are also a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. So we could say that those who get the riches, I'm talking about spiritual riches, are those who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're listening to me today, I want you to know there's a place for you in the family of God. That is God's will. John 7, 38 says, anyone who believes in him may come and drink. For the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. You know, there's a place for you in the family of God. There's also a position for you. Paul had the position of being an apostle. 1 Corinthians 12, 8, he says, But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. Listen, God's got a place for you in the local church. He has got a position for you. You know, God is always hiring. The church is the place where he's always hiring people. You don't have to be on the payroll, but you do have a position. And oftentimes, I think, we miss opportunities. For God to use us because we think too highly of ourselves. Listen, when you think about being used, I'd be willing to do the nursery if there's a need for that. I'd be willing to clean the church if there's a need for that. I'd be willing to teach a small group if there's a need for that. I'd be willing to paint a building at the church if there's a need for that. Those who are great in God's kingdom realize that God has a position for them. So, be a humble servant and allow God to use you. You know what always amazes me when we gather to worship? I remember one time we were we were working on a project together as a church. And some of the men that were gathered in that particular project, we were painting a back room and we were installing a floor in another room, which was next to the back room. And as we we're working on this project, I said to one of the guys working, I said, have you noticed the guys who are here today? At that time, we had a doctor in our church. I said, Dr. So-and-so is back there painting. Uh, at that time, we also had in our congregation a captain. And I says, you know, we have Captain So-and-so back there, and uh, he's helping with the floor. Uh, at that time in our church, we also had uh, a dentist. My dentist was coming to church at that time. And I says, my dentist is over there painting that wall. I says, isn't it amazing? These people that have you know, letters behind a name and great positions in the world are servants of God. You know, in a cover letter, as somebody wrote this, trying trying to get a job and said, here are my qualifications for you to overlook. As somebody else put in a cover letter trying to get a job. Please call me after 530 because I am self-employed and my employer does not know I'm looking for another job. As somebody else wrote in a cover letter with their resume, My goal is to be a meteorologist, but since I have no training in meteorology, I suppose I should try stock brokerage. Uh, Somebody else wrote in their letter, I demand a salary commensurate with my expensive experience. (laughs) Somebody had this on their resume. I was working for my mom until she decided to move. Uh, Somebody else wrote in their resume, marital status. Single. Unmarried. Unengaged. Uninvolved. No commitments. And then there was a note. Please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I never quit a job. <laughs> marital status. And somebody else wrote on their resume, marital status, often. Children, various. And somebody wrote on their resume, reason for leaving my last job. Well, they insisted that all employees... Get to work at 8.45 a.m. every morning. I couldn't work under those conditions. Uh, Maybe as you're looking at your life, the reason that you have not been blessed with the riches of God is because you have not chosen the riches of Christ. You have chosen something else. You see, those who are chosen and choose Christ are the ones who have his riches. Who gets the richest blessings? It's those who respond to the invitation. look what jesus said matthew twenty two fourteen that's what I mean when I say. many get invited, only a few make it. Who are those who make it? well there's some common characteristics of those who make it. I think there's got to be some grit I'm not talking about grits that you had for breakfast. I'm talking about determination. Paul says, I am writing to the God's holy people in Ephesus. And uh, concerning sins in our lives, he says, they're not weaknesses. They are, in fact, strongholds. As long as we call them weaknesses, we will never do anything about them. You got to have grit. You got to have determination. Maybe a better way to explain it is this. In the first century, when a young Jewish man reached the age that he was going to get married, his family would select an appropriate wife. The young man and his father would meet together, and the young woman and her father would begin to negotiate what was called the bride price. This was the figurative cost of replacing a daughter. Now, the price was usually very high. When negotiations were complete, the custom was for the young man's father to pour a cup of wine and hand it to his son. Then his son would turn to the young woman, lift a cup, and hold it out to her, saying. This cup is my new covenant in my blood, which I offer you. In other words, he was saying, I love you, and I'll give you my life. Will you marry me? Now, the young woman had a choice. She could take the cup and return it and say, no, thank you. Or she could answer without saying a word by drinking the cup her way of saying, I accept your offer, I give you my life in response. Now, when we think about that, that represents what happens to us when we become a follower of Christ. We see the symbol of communion, offering our lives to Christ because he first offered it to us. It takes some determination to be a follower of Christ, but I want you to know that it is worth it. Well, who else gets this Opportunity to respond to the invitation. Those with grits, but also those with determined insight and determined holiness. Being a faithful follower of Christ. Being a holy person. One who's set apart. Eugene Peterson defines holiness as a long obedience in the same direction. And he writes, It is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it is terrifically difficult to keep that interest sustained. You see, millions of people in our culture make a decision for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything can go. Even news about God can be sold if it's packaged freshly. When it loses its novelty, it goes into the garbage heap. You see, there's a great market for religious experience in our world today, but there's little enthusiasm for patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in which the earlier Christians called holiness. In Romans chapter 6, verse 22, it says, But now, being made free from sin, we become servants of God. You have no fruit unto holiness in the end of everlasting life. I want to encourage you. Be determined to live a life of holiness, a life that is set apart. There's something else that is different about those who are truly rich. They are determined in their faithfulness. They use their faithfulness to influence others. Galatians 5 says this, God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful. And because we belong to Christ Jesus, we have killed our selfish desires. But don't be conceited or make others jealous by claiming to be better than you are. Use your determined faithfulness to influence others for good, not to toot your own horn. You see, those with grits also are those with gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 4 says, There's different kinds of spiritual gifts, but there's the same Spirit that is the source of them all. You see, the same fuel that is driving all spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians twelve, eleven says, It is the one and only Spirit who gives us these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. You see, I didn't ask for the gifts I received. God gave them to me. I didn't desire them. God gave them to me. I didn't work for them. Now, I worked the gifts that God has given me, but I didn't work for the gifts God has given me. It's based on graciousness. God is gracious in giving each of us a gift. You see, that's who gets the riches. I want to close with one final passage of Scripture. And I want this to kind of weigh into your heart today. When you are a person that is spiritually rich, there's a sense of peacefulness and stability in your heart. Proverbs 14.30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. In his devotional guide, experiencing God day by day, Henry and Richard Blackaby asked the question, are you satisfied with merely knowing the acts of God, or do you want to know his ways as well? You see, a slipping of stability is a drifting toward sin. Let me say that again. A slipping of stability is a drifting toward sin. You see, being satisfied by merely knowing the acts of God is one level, but I want to really know the ways of God. That's where I find stability. This is a question that requires an answer, and the answer that we give determines the depth and the stability of our relationship with God. I want to conclude today by encouraging you to pursue the things of God. Who gets God's glory? The one who knows God is my source. What has that been given to us? As we seek his glory, we get every spiritual blessing. We have this opportunity to be blessed indeed. So I'm going to ask you to join me tomorrow as we finish up this study on who gets the true riches of God. I hope that you join me tomorrow as we finish up this passage of of scripture taking from the book of Ephesians. So, Father, whoever's listening right now, maybe they're driving down the road. I ask that you fill them with your spirit. Whoever's listening right now, I pray that you will awaken them to who you are. I pray that they will take the gifts that you have given them, not squander them, but use them to glorify you. Use them to honor you. Lord, thank you for meeting with us today in this brief time that we've had together. We lift up the name of Christ, the name that is above all other names, asking that you fill us with your spirit right now, Father. Thank you for your word that is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Now fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening today. If I can pray for you, my phone number is 252-267-2365. The best way to get a hold of me is is shoot me a a brief text, okay? 252-267-2365. I'll text you back or I'll call you back and I want to thank you today for joining me on this broadcast. Join me tomorrow as we finish up this study on who gets the riches of God. Thank you so much again for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash1890557 or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.